Tonight, I will be kind of moderating, and I'm happy to bring on to the podcast here uh, three guests, uh, two of the guys from Clemson Paws and the legend Quacking Tiger from Shaking the Southland. Um, happy to have these guys with us. You guys want to do kind of some quick introductions before we get started? Sure. Yeah, I'm Chris from Clemson Paws. I go by CTB there. Um, I focus a little more on the stat end of things. Um and uh, do the do the weekly previews of the upcoming opponent. And I am Kurt, or Kurt like Vonnegut. I attempt to be funny on the internet. And I'm Cracking Tiger, and I'm here just to bring this whole podcast to a flaming halt at some point, I'm sure. So, <laughs> uh, well, great, great to have you guys. Thanks again for making some time to join us. Um, QT, it's been a little bit. Thanks since the spring. And then uh, Chris and Kurt, happy to have you guys back on. Guys, we're we're through week five now, not quite at the halfway point, but so much has been going on the last two, three weeks that um, I I thought it was would be good for us to do a bit of a midseason check-in here. Um, originally, though, when we we talked about you guys coming on, this was intended to be a quarterback debate, kind of figuring out where the roster was, um, who was best positioned to lead this team at the quarterback position. Uh, but you know, we, I guess we weren't quick enough getting this one recorded to uh, to get that through before changes were made um, in the team. But um, it, without kind of dwelling too much on that situation, I think that you know, again, it would be good to touch on kind of where we all feel the, the team is at. But before we go there, I mean, how about that Syracuse game? Um, I feel like probably some of the most anxiety I've had as a Clemson fan in quite some time. I don't even think the Alabama game did I reach that level of um, sort of tension and excitement kind of at the end but um where do you guys land on that in that game i i think uh i think it was actually <laughs> in retrospect it was a fun game a fun game to watch from an entertainment standpoint and i see why espn likes to showcase clemson because we tend to make it interesting um it, it, i think it was a good game to build from a lot went wrong he had all the bryant distractions in the week prior I think, Kurt, in the game thread, you're like, did this team practice this week? And maybe they didn't with everything going on with Bryant. Um, and with the injuries and with the suspensions that we saw, pretty much everything that could go wrong did go wrong. So it'll be interesting to see if the team powers up from this, if they use this as a building block and refocus as a team and take the next step, um, or or if they don't. So I'm, I'm kind of interested to see if we start blowing some teams out, if we blow out Wake Forest, are you going to start seeing the team that we expected to see? 
Yeah, that game thread got a little out of hand. Um, I don't think I've gone that full negative Nancy in a long time. Gave me some serious Tommy Bowden flashbacks. Um, But it reminds me a lot. The more I read through the film review and the more I think about it, it reminds me a lot of the Louisville game in 2014. Um, A lot of parallels there with a freshman quarterback who had just unseated the senior sort of more established starter, um, lots of excitement around said quarterback, doesn't exactly light the world on fire, gets injured early in the game, and all of a sudden we're in a dogfight in a game that maybe wasn't supposed to be so close. Um, Lots of sloppy play, lots of chippy play um, on both sides of the ball, and a defense kind of bailing out an offense while it finds itself with the backup who was thrust into a uh, prominent role. Um, and so, you know, both came down to the wire. I was at the, the Louisville 2014 game and thought it was one of the most underrated Clemson game atmospheres probably in the last decade. You know, there's the the pantheon of great games. And I thought that one was incredible just because of the, you know, the fans really getting into it and being so loud. Um, so it kind of reminded me of that. Uh, maybe not in a good way, but, um, you know, a lot of parallels, I think, to be drawn. The big difference, obviously, being that Deshaun Watson was out for, I think, five weeks um, and Trevor Lawrence should be back this week. So, um, but uh, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely got a good workout out of that one and without really moving very much. Yeah, I about lost it when Mullen went down with an injury. It's like, you know season almost over and yeah I, I was uh i don't know i i mean i this game was all about chase bryce to me it was about his moxie coming in it was about his awful throws and then his good throws and then you know letting the entire season ride on the fourth and sixth play and i think the underrated storyline that uh not enough people are talking about is brent venables holding the syracuse offense which i think is a pretty good offense i mean dungy is a, a pretty good quarterback too, with that single touchdown because of uh you know rogers who you know is our best punt returner in a long time i think and he muffs a punt so it was like what could go wrong everything that could go wrong did go wrong hopefully uh we flushed all of those things out of our system and uh moving forward get Trevor Lawrence back so uh who apparently is miraculously gone through the uh concussion protocol in a single day oh next strain it was just the next strain hooray better safe than sorry maybe maybe he didn't have a concussion but he looked concussed to me (laughs) um I mean I think our coaching staff had a lot of questionable calls with with how they called the game uh with going to the pass after successfully running it down Syracuse throat and then then going to that late in the game with just saying this is what we need to do let's just run the ball let the offensive line get to work uh, let them block like they have well just run ETN all the way down to the end zone Um, but I mean the point I was going to make is that compare and contrast that to what Penn State did with their fourth and five to what they called a fourth and six, <laughs> letting their quarterback make a play. So uh, they had a lot of things to complain about, but at least at least it paid off, and at least we took that shot, and it and we didn't lose. We we won the game. Win and survive. Yeah, I think there might yeah. for me there are a couple of learnings from this game or potential takeaways that hopefully 
um, bodes well going forward. And that might be some of the shuffling that happened on the O-line. Um, unfortunate to see Ankrum be limited in this game. Um, and certainly, I think QT, you brought this up in your your write-up, just about Cervenka nearly costing the team on a penalty, but um, being encouraged, at least, what we saw from him in the guard position, um, knowing that he's generally a backup center. Um, and then opposite that, um, also some of the defensive line shuffling that happened late in the game when really needed to prevent Dungey from killing this team or coming back down the field. Um, everyone, you know, talks up the Xavier Thomas sack, but... I thought all the other plays on that series, he um, he shown throughout that that entire series. Split that double team. I mean, that was insane. That I want to see that package like a few times a game, right? With with those four guys in at the same time, that that was killer. Yeah, not to toot my own horn here, but I'm pretty sure I made a mention of that exact package back in like May. I think I, I got I got to go find where I said that, but at some point I actually called for a feral. Bryant Wilkins Xavier Thomas package and it was awesome. It was everything I expected it to be. It was incredible. Seen, but I'm not, we we need to name it. That's what we need. Gotta get, get some brand. Call, I heard. I re, I saw. I referenced as the NASCAR package. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, that goes back to I think the Giants under Steve Spagnuolo when he would put four defensive ends on the field and he had those crazy blitz packages. I think that was where the, the origination of the NASCAR package for putting four speed rushers on the field at a time. You guys, you guys will know this. Have we seen AB play inside out, up to this point? No, 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 I don't think we have. Just in, it's just crazy. The versatility of this D line. I mean, Christian Wilkins moved outside a couple years ago. Um, AB, I mean, he's not going to play entire games there, but certainly has the the size for it, right? Yeah, and I think that it makes a lot of sense with our lack of depth in the defensive secondary. You know, this I think that package sort of replaces the traditional dime of doom. We don't have bodies to really throw back there in the secondary, so we do have a lot of bodies up front. So maybe, you know, we still drop – um, seven, but those four that were rushing are all, you know, elite pass rushers. So we get a little bit more pressure on the quarterback and we still have seven in coverage. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in terms of, I, I'm trying to think about this Syracuse win, there's maybe a couple ways you could take it. And Chris, you referenced this or alluded to it. Um, this could stand as a pretty, pretty landmark win within the season, not just the comeback, but beating a Syracuse team that, I mean, if you look at our schedule, where would you guys stack rank Syracuse? Probably a top two to three team on our schedule throughout the whole year. Uh, this win may age really well. Uh, they have a very capable offense, and this might be the thing that catapults this team, especially this defense, forward. Um, and figuring out some kind of package wrinkles like that could definitely be something that bodes well. On the other hand, um, do we see, like, let's see what happens against Wake. They have a pretty capable offense as well. They, they maybe don't have the same... Um, I don't necessarily know that Syracuse played an amazing defensive game against Clemson, but um, Cuse without they're kind of a rudderless ship on defense from a coaching standpoint. Uh, but yeah, do we do we sort of see more sleepwalking potentially um, from this team against Wake? I kind of feel like it'll be the opposite. It'll be um, another chance to have a, a statement win before the bye week, and um, we'll figure it out. But it is on the road. Yeah. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Quack and Tiger. 
just a quick point on the the schedule. I think the schedule is actually set up pretty nicely because we had, you know, all the triple option. We've got that kind of done and off the table. And then we had Syracuse going pretty fast with their tempo, especially in spurts. And then Wake is just like, you know, on steroids right now. And I'm, I'm still like trying to figure out how that happened, how they made such a monumental shift in their offense. Go, you know, over 100 plays, I guess, is what they, they've run this season. So we're going to get those two. And then we're going to hit the bye week which I think will come at a good time for the Ankrum and Mullins and, and even Joseph and people that are nursing some injuries and we'll be ready for teams that are playing more spread uh, and, uh, and passing games more, you know, NC state and FSU. So I think that the schedule sets up nicely for, for Clemson in terms of who they're going to face defensively at least. Right. I mean, now that we're past A&M really, I mean, I think we have like the highest, like chance of, of winning out of any of the main contenders, including Alabama for the rest of the season. So, I mean, Boston college, I mean, that could be, I mean, that could be an interesting team, but really shouldn't be close. Um, the Florida state's offensive line can get healthy. They'll get off for that, for that game against Clemson. So, I mean, we'll, we'll just have to see, I would expect Trevor Lawrence to, I, I think he's going to try to put on a show. I think he's going to, try to hit those those throws that he's been hitting all season long um, and really show why he won the quarterback battle um, and push himself to keep getting better and keep improving. And hopefully that translates through the rest of the team. I mean, I think there's some issues on the offensive line. I think they're doing a good job with run blocking. But on the interior, they have some issues with pass blocking. We've seen a lot of shuffling between Stewart, Pollard, and Cervinka. I am Bockhorst with the, the last series in the Syracuse game. So we have depth there, but I think it's something that everyone's trying to figure out right now. Who are those five starting offensive linemen? And like, how do we develop some chemistry there um, and get them to be a little more consistent from a past standpoint? Let me ask you guys, I mean, kind of looking ahead toward, we're sort of at the mid, mid-season point here. Um, as you evaluate the talent on this team and kind of what we've seen from receiver position um, and now that the quarterback situation is, I mean, let's just call it sorted. Lawrence is our starter. Um, let's hope he makes full recovery here and kind of hangs on to it. What in your mind is sort of the optimal state of this offense? What does that look like? How do you guys think the coaching staff should be distributing, let's say, plays around this offense? Um, knowing what you know, knowing what we've seen so far, Kind of where where would you coach this up from that standpoint? Maybe start with you, Kurt. I think the yeah, I think the last two drives of the Syracuse game on offense are really um, indicative of I think what what this offense is at its best, which is a uh, RPO you know zone read RPO based offense. Um, Trevor Lawrence can go and throw the ball 40 times and sling it all over the place. And that that's great. But, um, you know, I think that it, uh, that, that RPO zone read based offense takes advantage of Trevor Lawrence and his very quick release, his ability to make a decision quickly. Um, it gives our playmakers space on the edge to operate. And you saw, you know, the second last drive, we went back to back after, you know, running zone read at them. They, you know, finally stacked the box a little bit and we hit Justin Ross on back-to-back plays and all of a sudden they had to drop their safeties back again. And you saw 
what that kind of cat and mouse game resulted in is on that last drive, we just ran the ball right down their throat. And if you think about as long as the quarterback's making the right read and the right decision, there's no really good way to defend against that other than just having players that are better than ours. And no one on our schedule is going to be able to do that. No one on our schedule has corners who can um, effectively limit our wide receivers. No one on our schedule has, you know, a, a six man box that can slow down ETN. So I think that's the sort of the optimal form of the offense. And I think we see more of that based on the success of those last two drives against Syracuse. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I would agree with, with all of that. I think it's just actually kind of unfortunate for Clemson this year that college football decided that it wanted to be better than it has been uh, at least last year. Um, I think you have a lot more competition and a lot better teams. So when you're, you're gauging where Clemson is at as a team and, and what their optimal offense is, it, it's like, we know that I think at this point we, that we have the, the capacity to easily win the ACC. There isn't anybody in the coastal that's really going to challenge us. We just have to make sure that we don't trip up or that we don't have, you know, the kind of game that we had against Syracuse where everything kind of goes wrong. Um, but if we're kind of gauging ourselves against the top teams in, uh, in college football, you know, we, we have to look at Bama. And uh, I, I, I know, too, actually from – through a family friend. I've met him a couple times and I, you know, I'm just amazed at how good he has been at the beginning of the season. He's four, he has 14 touchdowns and zero interceptions. And this was always the knock that I was hopeful that Alabama wouldn't be this complete team uh, because Tua would be a little bit turnover prone. And he just hasn't been this year, even though he's six foot one, he still has this like great release point and, and, you know, and they have great wide, as good of wide receivers as I think we have. They have a good O line. They have great run, running backs. I mean, the O line could be exposed, but Tua really makes that team kind of uh, come together. And uh, and they really played well against Texas A and M. I don't know if that's because they had a little bit of film on A and M that we didn't have, but that's like the closest comparison that I think we have right now. So Clemson is a good team, but uh, we are not. I don't think uh, yet to the place where we need to be uh, to be able to challenge in the playoff. And I, you know, we have enough time, I think, to help Trevor Lawrence develop our defense, I think can hang there if the secondary can work some things out. Um, But uh, Trevor Lawrence is, is definitely, I think this last game put a few questions in my mind. There's a, a few legit questions that he has to work through to be able to compete with the Alabama's and the Ohio state's. Yeah, I, I agree with you that I think last year was probably a down year for college football. This year is, is an up year. Alabama may be historically good. I mean, we're only five games into it, but so we'll see if things could happen. Um, as far as Clemson's offense, um, I think it's I think this is probably going to be the most complete version of a smouth, smash mouth spread that we've seen yet. Um, our offensive line is, is great at run blocking. We have ETN. We can run the ball down like a seven-man box with, with Syracuse. Uh, no problems there. We did that from the first quarter onward. Uh, and really, that game shouldn't have been close. We should have just been like running it down the field the entire game. Um, with, with Trevor Lawrence, he needs to continue to improve and grow as a passer. He's going to be given like all the chances to do that. And I think we'll, we'll see it. It's just a matter of how fast 
Um, is he going to get to that Tua level this year? Will it be next year? Um, I think eventually he will be that first-round pick. It's just how fast can he grow? And we, we need him to be able to out-duel Tua. We need him to throw down field, open up that running game to hit so that we can attack them vertically and horizontally and run the ball. And I think once we do that, this could be one of the better Clemson defenses we've seen or offenses that we've seen. On the on the defensive side, like QT mentioned, we have some issues with uh, with our secondary, um, and that probably includes Simmons as well. Um, and I, I think we need to, to see some more consistency out of Muse and Simmons and, and how our linebackers hold up with uh, with their coverage assignments. Yeah, I was going to ask you guys, like, just through the lens of a midseason check-in, like, what have sort of some of the surprises been or disappointments of this team? I think all of us knew coming in we would have question marks in the secondary, and I think some of those have been just validated, or those those questions have been validated with what we've seen on the field. Um, there's not a ton of relief we can expect coming in the form of guys coming back from injury or anything like that. Um, Mark Fields should be able to play this weekend, which is good news, especially against Wake Forest. I think we'll need him. Um, but is there really any hope for a kind of in-season development that you guys can see from the secondary, or is our hope really against a passer like Tua, uh, to your point earlier, Kurt, um, instead of the dime of doom, we got to get the NASCAR front uh, to create pressure and hope to contain them that way. I mean, I was encouraged by the play of Tanner Muse uh, in the second half. He played a lot better than uh, in the first half. Uh, the, the problem, I think, is just with depth in the, the secondary and, and especially depth at safety. Uh, you know, I mean, Turner had a bad play and he got burned down the field. And so, you know, is that was that just a one play deal or is that something that uh, is going to continue to be a problem? You know, having him bust uh, or just get beat uh, down the field. Um, so, I, you know, I was really encouraged to see Kyler McMichael come in. And uh, and step up because then you can get, you know, fields. You could potentially get him on the field as well to give you a fourth PB if you wanted to play around with in that way. Um, and uh, I think that we have more growth that we can do compared to other teams. Like we have younger players like McMichael and, uh, and Goodrich and Simmons settling into his role. Like we have younger players that will figure it out, hopefully as the season progresses with their, their fits and their assignments. And, the, and especially the communication with the linebackers. That's the one thing that I think I've been disappointed most with the secondary is, is that interplay and coverage and not being able to, to you know, everybody get their assignments right and, and the linebackers getting burned in coverage. Yeah, I think that's, I'm right there with you. I think that's when you look at, you've got Kendall Joseph, you've got Trey Lamar. They've both been playing significant reps for three years. Um, yeah, Isaiah Simmons has his moments, but the communication issues are really, I wouldn't even say frustrating because it's like these guys know, they know better. They know this defense. And I'm sure for Venables, it has to be incredibly frustrating to see guys who, know what they're doing and have seen so many live reps to not be in position to just be making these mental errors um, and causing a lot more strife than probably needs to, you know, I think that those were 
the results uh, or the those were what caused a lot of the problems over the middle of the field against Texas A&M uh, had a lot to do with the linebackers. The corners are holding up well on the perimeter, mm-hmm. um, but that the you know linebackers not getting their depth and not passing players off to each other, things like that. That's that's really basic stuff that these guys should be over by now. Um, and so that's pretty disappointing for me because we, you know, we thought that these guys, that would be a, a major strength of the team, you know, gone are the days of Ben Bulware, a total liability in coverage against the tight end. And it's like, well, now we've got, you know, six foot four Trey Lamar and Kendall Joseph, who just is, seems to always be in the right position. And they're just making these kind of mental errors. And it's frustrating to watch because you know that they have the capability to do better. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, a lot of times they are put in conflict. So with uh, with Dungy hitting their running back, leaking out, I mean, he was threatening to run. Uh, Christian Wilkins lost contain on that one play. Uh, so, I mean, the running back was able to get a step on him. But still, I mean, he needed to see him and he needed to cover him. It seems like Brent Venable's linebackers are very solid at, at uh, rushing the passer, causing havoc, behind the line of scrimmage, shutting down the run game. But they if they have a weakness, it's it is in pass coverage. And really I think that's probably fairly common. I, there aren't too many linebackers out there who can run with with a, a running back or a tight end while being put in conflict and trying to recover from some of those mistakes. And the the problem with you know, looking at Bama, and I hate to look at Bama because it's like it's almost unfair to, but uh, if you've watched Bama's games, Tua is using the entire field. He's using all of his players. He's hitting like the person who's open, the tight end running free down the field in the, the middle. I mean, players that and, – and making plays that Jalen Hurts would have never made, that an Alabama quarterback hasn't made in 15 years. I mean, I can't even remember when an Alabama quarterback made these kind of plays. Um so I think that you know that that's what's disappointing is thinking about how this defense might match up against um, against Alabama. But you know those are projections, so we'll see how he, they do against a, a tempo team like Wake Forest, where they, they do try to do you know the pop passes and things, and they they stress the linebackers. Uh, we'll see how they do against NC State with more vertical routes and uh, and bigger bodied wide receivers. Um, and and I think those will be good challenges that'll help the team as we move towards the playoffs. Um, for sure. I guess maybe going back to the offense a little bit, QT, I wanted to dig in a little on what you're saying about Trevor Lawrence and you had in mind some areas that you definitely want to see him develop. Um, I think you mentioned recently hitting the deep ball. Uh, there were a few moments in the first first half of that Syracuse game um, and potentially even in Georgia Tech where that wasn't nearly as crisp as maybe what, what we would hope or expect out of him. And um, again, true freshman quarterback here, but um, I think... I guess my question is, in what way um, is it the deep ball, really, that he needs to develop most? Is it ball security? Kind of what areas do you think are most needed to take a step forward for this to be a championship contending offense? Yeah, uh, I I actually cannot say a negative thing about Trevor Lawrence at all. You know, I'm the hype train, you know, toot-toot. So, yeah, I'll have to punt on that question. No, uh, yeah, he... He needs to work on his deep ball. I I've been surprised at how how uh, he's been flustered in the pocket and he's let his mechanics drift a little bit and he uh, he's been overshooting guys. Uh, he's also kind of risk averse, which is something that I think is a, a strength, but also can be a weakness. 
he really did, in high school he did not throw interceptions. I mean, you know, he didn't have uh, really good DB. I mean, he played in a good in Georgia, but you know, nobody was really gonna pick him off in high school. Um, and but it, at the college level, he he is risk averse. Like he does not put the ball in jeopardy at all. Um, so I, you know, I'd almost like to see him put some balls up that are that are more those 50-50 kind of balls to let the wide receivers do their work. So, but you know, I mean, he, he doesn't turn it over, so that's a that's a good thing. I, I see Trevor Lawrence continuing to develop with with making checks at the line and making the right RPO uh, reads. That's something that was not uh, Kelly Bryant's strength. Like everybody's like, oh, he was great at the RPO because he could zone read because he could run. But he, the mental side of it, he wasn't always uh, making the correct reads and, and where to go with the ball. And, and Trevor Lawrence does that really well, even though he may not be the, the kind of runner. Um, you know, his arm talent isn't in question here, right? And he's been really good in the horizontal game, really good with the, the screen game. Um, I, I think he just needs more seasoning in terms of um, recognizing some of the blitz packages that are coming understanding what to do with the ball when his offensive line breaks down. And, and uh, you know, that was obvious in the Syracuse play where he, he kind of awkwardly stumbled to an injury, you know I mean? He was like kind of wanting to jump down and then like kind of tripped. And it was just this like awkward train wreck straight into the uh, Syracuse player. So, it, you know, I think he just needs to uh, figure out some of those uh you know, it's just seasoning questions, I think, with, with Lawrence. And uh, I don't see anything in his game right now that makes me go, this is a huge question mark and he can't get this right moving forward. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm very hopeful that Wake Forest is going to be a, you know, like a five touchdown blowout. Okay. Sorry, Kurt. I thought you were going to say something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I, I agree with, with a lot of that. I mean, I think Trevor Lawrence, he has that amazing arm that is very rare. Um, I think he he has shown the ability to, to go through some progressions. Um, he has been missing his checkdowns. Um, there's been some instances of that. Um, we have seen him stare down some, his receivers uh, on some occasions. And uh, what else? Um, I mean, he needs to handle pressure better. Against a and um, they were blitzing. He's going to continue to see teams blitz against him um, and speed up his clock. Because if you let Trevor Lawrence sit back in the pocket, he's going to pick you pick you apart because he has that five-star arm. Um, he can throw it with a flick of the wrist all, like down downfield, uh, just a laser. So teams are going to continue to, to do that. So he needs to be able to understand where the pressure is coming from, where are the outlets uh, with, with the checkdowns, and, and take advantage of that, be able to feel the defense a little more. And a lot of that is just going to come with experience. He's a true freshman, five games in. Yeah, he just needs some more experience and get some live game reps. Yeah, he missed, uh, he missed you know, ETN on a few leak outs where he, he left the pocket, like he exited too quickly where he was just like, uh, could have hung in there and then and dumped it off. But I think that mean, that that he, he hasn't really taken many shots, you know? In high school, he had a clean pocket all the time because he was getting the ball out quickly, and um, he, he just hadn't, like you were saying, that, that kind of pressure. So the I think the, the play where uh, Kate Stewart kind of gave a free release to him is a good example. And rather than Trevor just kind of like throwing the ball away or uh, or just kind of throwing the ball up to Renfro, he waited th- that extra second, and and that cost him a, a big shot and and, uh, and getting hit. Getting, 
getting tackled. So, or did he throw it away? I don't even remember. But that that uh, that yeah, I but I agree with that. I mean, we we've seen that where he's kept the ball too long. He needs to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he's a true freshman, five games in. I mean, he just needs his live game reps, and I think the schedule is set up very nicely for him to get those reps. Um, I would like to see us face a team where he's going to f- have that pass rush pressure that we saw from A&M. It'll probably be Florida State. I mean, they do have a good defense, but uh, I'm not sure who else that would be on our schedule just off the top Maybe of my head. Possibly BC. Yeah, possibly yeah. BC. More likely the front of Florida State. South Carolina, of course, right? Right? Don't they have some great uh, yeah. On their road to that national championship. <laughs> I think one, one other just observation of the Syracuse game. I mean, knowing knowing what's at stake with his health, um, getting him to step out of bounds, just those extra one to two yards are not worth it. Um, any, any sort of design runs, I, there weren't really design runs for him, but um, really – you know, staying in the pocket and just being able to get rid of it. I think it's right. going to be critical. Right. De- Deshaun Watson was excellent at feeling that pocket and handling that pocket. We gave a, our offensive line a lot of grief with how they handled Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. But, I mean, Deshaun Watson, he faced the same pressure the previous two years. Uh, and he was able to handle it, um, which speaks to how good he really was. So, I mean, Trevor Lawrence is going to have to develop that ability. Um, again, like the interior of the offensive line, it's going to have to come together and, and improve on, on pass rush. It's, it's not typical to have an offensive line that's really good at at, at, at uh, run blocking and pass blocking. So, I mean, I think that's going to be something that they have to work on. And I think that's where the tight end play can also come in, come into effect here. And I think we're all ready to move on from the Milan Richard experiment uh, at this point. I mean, um, we, de- we have decent depth there now. I think it's it's uh, pretty clear where the coaches need to go in that that aspect. Yeah, there's a – I don't know how many people noticed. I, I Someone on Twitter made mention of it, but apparently on the depth chart, they have a new position listed as the H-back with Garrett Williams as the lone starter there. And I think that that is going to replace the – anytime you have a tight end as like the end man line of scrimmage – lining up in, in any kind of blocking set. And that's going to be Garrett Williams. And then, you know, the, the tight end or traditional tight end position is going to be more of a, um, you know, either split out or maybe just right off the um, line of scrimmage as, as more of a receiving threat. I think they're, um, you know, just about done with Milan Richard trying to block, uh, especially trying to block a defensive end. It was uh, telling, I thought, that uh, Braden Galloway was in the in the game in the fourth and six, and hopefully he can continue to build and be able to stay on the field a little bit more because uh, he should be that weapon that we need over the middle of the field. Yeah, I think really what, maybe to summarize a little bit, the sentiment here on the offense is like, we will see the passing game continue to develop, and as that goes, I think this, this team's prospects go. Um, but really... For the time being, I think it, at this point, uh, this offense is pretty much the ETN show, and continuing to have him, uh, you know, seeing seeing higher snap counts is going to be key. Hopefully, we continue to have good run blocking. Um, I wanted to ask you guys: we've a lot has been made of what we're seeing from Alabama on the offensive side. 
uh, Kurt, you mentioned really the teams that are going to challenge a very dynamic, effective Clemson offense are just going to be the ones that have the right playmakers, those that can you know, be effective at stopping an offense without stacking the box. I mean, do we see yet? Obviously, Alabama has not played any juggernaut offenses. Um, Kellen Mond did okay against them. There were probably a little bit of nerves going on there for him too. Uh, but I don't know. Where, you, where do you guys stand on kind of Alabama's defense or – any of the defenses that we're likely to face in either leg of a playoff run, anyone out there strike you as able to stop Clemson at its, at its offensive ceiling. I was hopeful that just jumping in real quick, that Alabama's defense would suffer through some growing pains. They have a secondary with Xavier McKinney and, uh, and certain who are young, but very talented and players that Clemson uh, really, really wanted uh, and so if they can grow up a little bit in the secondary, they're tough there. They have some good defensive linemen, Davis and Bugs, and, and, uh, but they aren't, I, I don't think, as potent on the defensive line as they have been in the past. Um, and and their, their linebackers are so good, but, but not great. So I think that we could potentially score points on them if our, our uh, O-line starts to get it together for Trevor Lawrence and give him enough time to get the ball on. I think, you know, our offense, I'm not worried about it right now. We've seen, we've, we've read this book before people. I mean, how many times have we been just infuriated with what we perceive to be subpar performances early in the season? You know, it, we saw it with John Watson in 2015 and in 2016, um, Troy, for example, um, it, you know, games like that where it's just like, oh, what are they doing? They're just kind of messing around. Um, and then all of a sudden kind of November comes, this team does a really good job of sort of flipping the switch and all of a sudden just start smashing um, people over the head with a brick. And so I'm not worried about that at all. I think if we play Alabama in the national championship, it's going to be another 35-40, 45-40 type of game. Um, I think it could very well turn into a whoever has the ball last wins type of scenario Um, because I, I, yeah, I I mean, no one has tested that defense yet. Um, No one who can effectively challenge all areas of the field. Um, Like, like we can, if we actually, you know, have synergy on offense of, you know, the running game, the pass game and effective play calling. Um, I kind of feel like, uh, Jeff Scott and, and um, Tony Elliott are sort of feeling around right now, trying to figure out like, what is the identity of this team, but they've shown in games that matter in championship games, a propensity to, you know, feel out the recipe, that sort of recipe for success and then deliver on that um, with some masterful play calling uh, when it mattered. So I'm not too worried about that. I do think, you know, we can stress that defense enough and score 30 to 40 points. And that's just, you know, who has, who catches the breaks? Do we get Alabama to make a mistake in a national championship game? They've played three of the cleanest games I've ever seen in the three times that we've played them in the playoff. No interceptions, no fumbles, no turnovers, no special team mistakes. I mean, if they did what they did against Ole Miss a couple of years ago and turned the ball over five times, we'd beat them by forty. It's ridiculous. Hey, we did. We did get an onside kick recovery from uh, from Alabama. Yeah, don't, uh, don't forget that. Yeah. Kurt. 
The game was <laughs> over. The game was over. So I'm I'm checking out Bill Connolly's uh, stat profiles. Uh, so he has them ranked number one overall, but their defense, shockingly, is only ranked ninth. Mm. So for an Alabama team, that's probably uh, that's alarming right there. They're they're giving up a lot. Is number one. Yeah, uh, typically. Um, they've, they've been giving up a lot of explosive plays, rushing and passing. Uh, their, their rush defense isn't that great for S&P numbers. Uh, they've been blowing everyone out, so um, who knows how reliable they are at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. Brian Fermo with FEI, the other half of F+. He has Alabama third in his ratings. Is a Georgia number one, Ohio State number two, and then Alabama, and uh, we're all the way down to seven. So it, I mean, it's just early in the season. We're going to see a lot of things change. Uh, there, we've seen a lot of September national champions before, so we just need to figure. We just need to see how this season plays out. Yeah, and let's not let's not forget Alabama doesn't. They play probably three of their four hardest games in November. They're going to look really good until then. And then, you know, they're probably still going to look really good in November, but we're going to get a better understanding of who they are, and we're not going to really know until then. You know, they play LSU, they play Mississippi State, and they play Auburn all in about a four-week span. Um, Until then, they're just going to beat up on teams, and then, you know, we'll kind of get a better understanding of what they are. Right, and I think the Kraken is one who coined the phrase, like, the genius kid syndrome. It's what we see with Clemson a lot of times where we'll fool around with backups. We'll play down to the opponent. And then when it's time for for us to face an elite team, that's when we see the best come out of, of the Clemson team. Like they've been practicing all season long and they finally get off of that big game. Um, I, I'm interested in that theory. And I've thought a lot about that um, in, in the past because it, it has seemed like in the biggest games, like against Florida state in years past, um, you know, this new kind of Clemson team just emerges. Um, and like the, the best example to me was when we busted out the, uh, the tossed pitch, you know, play that uh, Deshaun Watson was using and, and against Alabama and then the fake pitch to the, the run that he was using so effectively against them. And, um, but I didn't see that against Alabama last year in the Sugar Bowl. And it's made me like fearful that, uh, that those other games, maybe there was something else that was going on, and 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 well, I think that I, I, that that, that, that plan, that plan. Sorry, nope. that plan. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead, Chris. Thanks. <laughs> uh, well, T. Higgins got hurt. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, so he was supposed to be the 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 fourth wide receiver lined up, and they were gonna have him and Deion Kane stretch the field vertically. Um, and then he didn't get the pass interference call. He got hurt. And I think that was the wrinkle that, that set the team back in, in the Sugar Bowl. Well, and the other thing is to be the genius kid, you got to have a little bit of swagger and you got to be a little bit of a gunslinger. Deshaun Watson, you know, in, was the embodiment of that. Just this you know, cool customer, but, you know, he let it rip every once in a while. And Kelly Bryant is just, you know, was very conservative. He's very even keeled. He made the right decision almost every time. Um, but he, you know, he did not have that sort of swagger. And that, you know, that's one of the things that we saw that, that got him unseated was this, this unwillingness to put a ball in jeopardy that cost the team. 
um, you know, where there's a guy running open downfield and he's uh, maybe he's got one-on-one coverage. And if it's, you know, Deion Kane or T Higgins and they're one-on-one, that's, they might as well be open. You know, it's that Mike Williams, if, if he's, if he's single covered, he's open. Um, and Kelly's not going to throw that ball. And I think, you know, the true genius kid, you have to, you take the good with the bad, you get the interceptions, but you also get the brilliance that comes with it. And, um, and I don't think we were going to get that with Kelly Bryant just cause he's, he's a different type of leader and a different type of player. Not to say it's bad. I just think we lost a little bit of that magic. Yeah. I also think, and um, this is just my projecting here because the coaches have said that they didn't, you know, use a different offense for Kelly Bryant or versus Trevor Lawrence. But it was obvious to me that, uh, and in conversations with a few folks that Skelliot, uh, felt limited in some ways in how they needed to design the offense to play to Kelly Bryant's strengths that with Trevor Lawrence, you have a lot more opportunity for different kinds of creativity and that the, the constraints that Kelly Bryant just kind of going along with what you're, you're saying there, or didn't, uh, you know, defenses could, could have answers to all those uh, in ways that I think with Trevor Lawrence, you, you have more possibility uh, for opening things up and and here two cheers for uh, creativity and ingenuity. I think that we still have a, a ways to go in building this offense to play to Trevor Lawrence's skills, his ability. He's really good rolling out of the pocket. And I, I haven't seen us do that very much with him yet. Maybe that's some uh, a wrinkle that we'll emphasize later on. Um, I, I really liked seeing some of the mixing up of the the gaps and zone run schemes that we did for ETN in, in the Syracuse game. And maybe that is part of Skelliot, like actually like uh, showing a little bit of their hand of, of what they can do with the run game versus, you know, the a gap run game uh, and, and opening it up a little bit. I, I, I thought that that was a great wrinkle and against uh, against Syracuse. So I'm, I'm hopeful that, that Skelliot have it all figured out. I'm just a little, you know, that sugar bowl was, was very painful. Yeah. I think just the adjustments uh, that you're, you're able to make with Kelly Bryant's skill set or limitations and the playmaking limitations of the receivers that were still there. Um, hopefully again, I think I agree with you. The point you're making here QT is Trevor Lawrence opens you up to a lot, lot, lot of different adjustments that you can make to kind of probe the defense and find, um, find opportunities and take what they're going to give you. Yeah. And I feel like our coaching staff, I don't know. I feel like every game there's like a, a secret set of plays that is in a glass case. And it's like break glass in case of emergency that they just kind of keep stocked away. And then, you know, we saw that come out in the, the second to last drive and all of a sudden it's like, all right, get out the hammer guys. Cause we, we got to have these now. Um, but you know, it's frustrating for the fans. Cause we're like, well, Jesus, why didn't we Dude, just call this in the first quarter? But um, I don't know. I feel like that conservatism is part of what has led to Clemson's consistency as well. You know, we don't have the talent advantage that Bama has where we can just roll out there and just, you know, manhandle everyone. Um, we have punched above our weight class from a talent perspective, you know, against Florida State the last couple of years, against some more talented teams, and I think that's because they've done a really good job of saving some of that stuff. And then, you know, having a really good um, awareness for when to unleash some of those great plays, you know, Ohio state, yeah, I, the, the play that QT was mentioning that sort of um, QB power read play mm-hmm. um, where all, you know, all, 
out of the blue, we just unveil this play. We run it three times in a row for 70 yards in a single drive. And everyone's just like, wait, what, what just happened? And we score a touchdown. Um, so they have a knack for that and it, it is frustrating, but you know, it, it's something that we've seen plenty of times. Um, and I, I do have faith in their creativity because I do think that there is some, and I think I agree with QT that, that that's a big part of why they want Trevor Lawrence as QB one, because he unlocks a lot of potential that was just not there with a lesser talent at quarterback. And, and I say lesser talent in, in the purest sense of an ability to throw the ball, which Trevor has in spades. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence can stretch the field vertically. Uh, Callie Bryant, he, he couldn't do it consistently. He could throw a deep fade, but like Dr. B said, um, but he, he wasn't very consistent at hitting the ball downfield outside of that. And I think the staff knew that going into Alabama. I think that's why they had T Higgins as, as part of the game plan is because they knew they needed to throw downfield. And then once T got hurt, once he pressured Kelly Bryant, they, I think they flushed at him in that game. And, and that was pretty much the unraveling of, of the sugar bowl. Um, well guys, you know, I think if you have not much more to say about sort of the mid season checkpoint of this team, it, if I had to sum it up, it, just seems like we're we're still kind of continuing to find the way um, throughout the team, but schedule sets up nicely, as you've said. Um, certainly, areas of development that we'll need to see, and we likely will. I think what um, when I think about coaches going conservative, um, the concept of the switch: can this team or will this team be able to hit the switch? I think as a fan, you might ask yourself: like, occasionally you want them to see want to see them hit that gear and show that they do have that kind of extra elite layer um, to be able to bring. Obviously, we'd love to see that week in, week out, four quarters, um, but it's just not really the style and approach of this team. I think we likely are, will see a statement win or two coming up on our schedule. Um, there would be some games that we would feel better about seeing it than others. I think we all would like to see Dave Doran get his comeuppance um, as an opponent head coach. But um, yeah, I think you know we're pretty much on schedule, I think, as a team at this point. I will say I feel like the Kelly departure um, in some ways made this team worse, um, gives us you know, a little bit of a smaller margin for error should there be actually a serious injury, as well as just the wrinkles he could have provided as an offensive playmaker or a weapon or change of pace look. Uh, but that's behind us. Don't need to dwell on that too much. I think that through all other lenses of this team, we're pretty much on schedule for what all of our goals were for the season and where we thought we might be. Uh, but any kind of parting thoughts this, this far through the season um, that you guys might have? Well, I do think that, you know, the, there, we seem to be thinking that the quarterback controversy is totally over, but um, you may have heard there is a little bit of controversy still with Christian Wilkins and Hunter Renfro, a little bit of uh, rivalry there. Uh, I know Christian's pretty upset that he didn't get a look before Hunter. So, uh, you know, interested to see how that shakes out over the next uh, couple of weeks with, uh, you know, potentially a little more friction in the locker room turmoil. I mean, the, the three things I'll be watching for the the rest of the season to see, will we be able to compete with Alabama or not? It's going to be the offensive line. How does that offensive line come together in pass protection? Um, how do Muse and Simmons hold up with being put in conflict? And then how does Trevor Lawrence develop as a complete quarterback? And if we hit on all those three things, I think we're going to be just fine. 
Yeah, my, my last question is kind of about um, figuring out the right guard spot and depth along the offensive line because Ankrum goes down and, you know, uh, we're reeling a little bit on, uh, and with regards to continuity. So is, is there a, is there a way that we can get Bockhorst in the game? Uh, is there a way that Jackson Carmen might get used a little bit more? Is there any way that we can put him at right guard or is he just going to stick there at left tackle? I think those are some of the, does Reeves or Vincent give us a bit more of a, a backup at, uh, at right tackle or is that going to be Pollard? who has to be fulfilling that role and does Pollard fit in at right guard a little bit better or is it Cervenka or is it, you know, that interior line, who, who is it that, that emerges? John Simpson had a bad game against A&M. He looks like he's doing better. He still needs to emerge and with regards to pass blocking, but that to me is the most important question on offense, just because uh, the way the offensive line goes will, will I think dictate how Trevor, how Trevor Lawrence feels as a, as a passer in the pocket and, uh, and of course, with with opening things up for ETN and, and Feaster, who I think is a, a pleasant surprise, uh, a more healthy Feaster has been able to to be more productive. Yeah, good stuff. Um, I guess before we wrap entirely, uh, we'd be remiss, QT, not to ask you for some recruiting insight and tidbit tidbits. Um, but certainly, uh, I think depth is just a giant question on this team. And um, to maybe think through your your second favorite pastime here. Um, just the situation we're in with depth across the board. Um, we've had departures. I think for for fans, we should expect in future seasons we're going to see guys go to the league. Um, enough of enough commentary has been made. Enough ink has been spilled talking about the redshirt role and transfers that are likely to happen. Um, so, I to frame this kind of as a question or get the discussion going a little bit more is um, where where should this coaching staff be approaching uh, how they construct the roster, how they approach recruiting of certain position groups that you can really never have enough depth in? Um, I mean, it maybe as a departure from what they've been doing, or when you look to other programs that are successfully able to see guys go to the league and able to see um, attrition happen and not lose a step. Um, and QT, kick it over to you to kind of talk through that, but um, really to maybe frame it more in the positive. Um, understanding like 2019 is going to be a monster class for us. Huge, huge for the future. Um, if, if we feel like we're on the right track, if we like feel like we are addressing the right needs, um, I believe we are from what I've seen, but, you know, would be keen to get your input on that too. You want me to frame something in the positive? Like, I don't even know if I can do that. No, um, absolutely. So I think one thing that people need to understand is there, there's this misconception about like how many people we can recruit. There's a cap of 25 players, but if you have an early enrollee, you can count that towards the the past season's numbers of uh, of recruits. So there's a lot of wiggle room that that teams have. So uh, the problem that we have right now is that we're basically at almost to like USC level uh, uh, suspension uh, probation. That's the word I'm looking for in terms of how how many scholarships were down. Uh, this season, I think you you could say nine. I, you know, if you wanted to say that some of these people shouldn't have scholarships, you could even push it to like eleven scholarships that we could fill in that eighty-five. So, I mean, let's just say like it's about not eight or nine. Um, Self-imposed sanctions. Basically. Yeah, I mean, so so one of the problems that happens when you when you have that kind of gap is that you're going to get a big class in in one class, and then you're going to get get 
really small classes later on. And so I think one of the things that the, the staff needs to work for towards is evening out the numbers in every single class. So we don't have that, that gap that, that we seem to have had ever since the dandy dozen uh, with, with Dabo where there's like a few senior teams and then everybody's, you know, really young team for a really long time. So um, I would like to see us specifically, right. Not talking in abstraction. I would like to see us recruit four offensive linemen this year, please just get four offensive linemen. Uh, right now we're, we're aiming towards three and it's like, please, can we have four? I know five come off the books next year. Um, and I would rather we recruit four and four rather than three and five, just because I think we need those numbers at, at O-line. And that I, I think is where the, uh, this class is the weakest. We have one, uh, offensive line recruit and, uh, and we'd like to see more. Um, I, I think everywhere else we've done a, a really good job um, in terms of defensive line. Uh, we've got a lot of raw talent, I think, that uh, can spend some time in the system and, and really do well. We're on the hot pursuit of Tyler Davis, who just visited, which is basically a, uh, a, an official visit um, and something that we don't normally do in season for major targets. And so that was a big, big visit to, to kind of star there. Um, Florida State falling off the map has just been perfect for us. Uh, and Tyler Davis, if he were six foot three, he's six foot one. If he was six foot three, he would be a, a top 50 recruit easily. So that's, that's one to watch. Um, and that will round out our defensive line recruiting. We've done a really good job in the secondary. I think Booth can step in right away next year and help out uh, in the, in the secondary. And, uh, and we, you know, we, we were able to recruit a good quarterback um, and we've got DJ Ugalele. Uh, that was awful. Sorry. But uh, for 2020, who we're still pursuing uh, and he will visit for the NC State game, he has connections to Oregon. He's going to look around at other places, but uh, he is the number one recruit overall for 2020. And and it's amazing that we're, we're in such good shape uh, for him. So uh, I see the staff almost beginning to move towards 2020. Um, they're, they're shifting away because we have a pretty good uh, class in, in place. Um, but I, you know, I, I would take 30 players in this class and, and not even blink. So that, that's where mind is at, my mind is at right now. And that that's assuming you can take some of the early enrollees, put it against the departures this year and kind of smooth that out. You're not yeah, suggesting go into Nick Saban gray shirt mode. No, no, not at all. Yeah. You'd be totally fine with 30. That was a lot. Sorry guys. <laughs> no, I, I, I started laughing a little bit because you're, Begging for four offensive linemen recruit. I think they should. I agree with that. Uh, it's kind of. I just think it's funny that you feel the need. To. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I get it. I get it. I'm with you. Fifteen uh, is a silly number. I mean, that's the yeah, problem. Dabo has fifteen offensive linemen. It's like, no, please, just go to sixteen. Everybody else goes sixteen to eighteen. Do it. Please. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to argue that we need more offensive linemen on the roster. Um, you know, I, I've voiced my concerns with, um, you know, the over-signing process and, and what that means for the overall mentality of the program in terms of, you know, if you put yourself in a situation where you have to tell a player that he's no longer on scholarship, it really degrades the foundation. So I'm leery of that, but I, 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 I can't say anything against you know, four offensive line, um, three at a minimum four in, in every class, if you can. Um, 
And, you know, I, I don't have a problem with that at all. Yeah, by my count, I think we have uh, six walk-ons with on scholarship right now, plus Bryant. So I don't know if Bryant's scholarship would open up or not. Um, but yeah, that's that's way too many. Um, I think we could potentially get up to 31. I, I think we could take a, a decent, a huge class this, this season. But we'll, we'll see. I think the I think Clemson just needs to keep winning. Uh, we need to make the playoff, and I think offensive line recruiting will fall into place. Um, the the mantra just has to be keep winning. Yeah, and I think QT you referenced it, and um, Chris and Kurt, we definitely chatted about it in our last discussion, was just the state of college football programs in the state of Florida right now. Like, it's open season, I would hope, on their recruits for Clemson, um, as well as continuing to boost that national profile. I don't really see any future ESPN game day dates on our regular season schedule, but um, plenty of opportunities to promote the pod nationwide. So um, a lot of good stuff there happening, good momentum. Um, guys, I mean, are there any other? Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say one last thing is um, since we don't take JUCOs, it's going to be an interesting question of, of whether or not we're going to take, you know, this new free agent kind of, as Hunter Renfro called it today, you know, the free agency of college football, whether Dabo is going to grab anyone from, from those ranks. And, and um, you know, it really like helps a program like LSU that's been struggling, but still has good name rec and can attract kind of top end talent from other programs. I, they grabbed their quarterback from Ohio state and he seems to be working really well for them. Uh, it'll be interesting to see the philosophy. I don't. I don't think that Dabo will do that, right? Because uh, that that flies in the face of the the whole. We're gonna recruit you and bring you in here and and see you through all the way. Um, but I I do think that that could be a, a potential disadvantage if more teams are able to kind of capitalize on that even further than than you know they do with like JUCOs and things off season. Um, and so that if you're not going to participate in that kind of free agent market, then it just means that you need to bring in more recruits, uh, would be my, my thinking, um, just kind of early on that, that maybe you have to bring in a few more recruits just so that your roster stays full for longer because there are going to be more departures, something to throw out there, something to think about. I think, you know, that you'd have to. For me to see this staff going after that, I think you might need to see a situation where there isn't necessarily that guy on the team incumbent able to step in and fill a role um, where they might consider kind of bringing in someone at, at a grad transfer or a, um, even before that level, but mm -hmm. remains to be seen. Guys, any other names that are top of mind for recruiting? Um, any, any kind of flip candidates that we're, we're hopeful for? Keep an eye out for Crouch. Uh, his visit went well, uh, and his suitors are starting to shake out a little bit. Um, Tennessee is still a factor. Uh, I don't see South Carolina being a factor. Um, and uh, Ohio State maybe is in there, but uh, Crouch is, is, uh, is one who we have a bullseye on for sure, and he visited. so. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you, QT, as always, for the for the insight on the recruiting front and the lively discussion of uh, the roster management. Um, honestly, the the cupboards will be restocked. Feel really good about that. Um, and uh, you know, we're, we continue to be in you know the the glory days of uh, Clemson football. So, 
I'm just trying to enjoy this run and the future is still very bright. So it's good stuff. Um, that's, that's all I had guys. I really appreciate you guys coming on. Um, good to kind of check in mid season here. Um, and always, always good to, to kick it around with the team. Any kind of parting thoughts about, um, I know Chris, you mentioned keeping an eye on Alabama, but other programs you guys are looking forward to seeing if they're legit or not the rest of the way this season. I've got my eye on Georgia. I think they've got a little bit of the Clemson gene in them of playing with their food, not necessarily putting teams away early. We've sort of seen that with the Mizzou game and the Tennessee game from them. Um, I do think they're, they've bounced back um, from losing a lot of talent to the league this past off season. Um, so they'll be right there, but um, I, I don't know that I see the SEC necessarily getting two teams in. Um, Georgia's got a, a tough slate going to LSU. They host Auburn. They'll have the SEC title game probably against Bama. Um, so one loss for them. The wrong loss. I'm not sure if they'll be able to win. Well, I'm interested to, to see the Texas-Oklahoma game this weekend. Um, I mean, with Oklahoma's defense, I wouldn't be surprised to see Texas run the ball successfully on them. Uh, the question is, how does their defense hold up against Oklahoma, and can they um, can they get to can they um, get to uh, Kyler Murray, uh, get to Murray, hit Murray, make him start thinking about his baseball contract instead of playing football, and and really put them to the test. So we'll see how they hold up over the course of the season. I wouldn't be super surprised to see Notre Dame trip up. Um, I mean, it's college football where you see a lot of wackiness. So, I'm, it, who knows what's going to happen the rest of the season. Yeah, I think Notre Dame is going to be that wild card that keeps anyone from getting two teams in. I think that – I think if they lose only one game, they're probably going to get into the playoff. And I think that knocks, you know, SEC runner-up out. Um, one team that I'm interested to see – stretches West Virginia. Um, you know, we, we didn't get a chance to see who they were against NC state. Um, that would have been a great way to see kind of who both were. Um, we've seen this West Virginia apparently good team before, but you know, do they have the horses with Will Greer to, um, to compete with Oklahoma? Do they have maybe a, a marginally better defense um, than Oklahoma to, to win. Um, I don't know if that game is in Morgantown or Norman, but if it's in Morgantown, then, then all of a sudden it gets pretty interesting, but you know, I could see them, um, if they beat Oklahoma running the table potentially and, and being sort of a, a Cinderella in the playoff, um, you know, we know Will Greer is going to be successful in the NFL because he transferred out of a Will Muschamp program. And that's pretty much, you know, a dead ringer indicator that you're going to have a pro NFL career. Um, so, you know, um, I'm, I'm interested to see what they can do against Oklahoma. Yeah. I guess the wrinkle there is even if they get over them once in the regular season, they would likely rematch uh, in the second, second matchup. Unless of course it's Texas or um, I guess it's among those three, right. For the big 12 race. But uh Yeah. I got, I got nothing to add other than I just don't want two SEC teams in the playoff because uh, that would be awful. Uh, I, yeah, I think Georgia and, uh, and Alabama are legit in terms of talent. Uh, Ohio State has the talent. Um, I, I'm not sure they're as good a team. I, I wouldn't mind facing them. 
and uh, Oklahoma and Notre Dame, I think, are uh, teams that Clemson could beat. So I'm just hoping that there aren't two SEC teams uh, that are ultimately there. I think Washington is still an interesting team, even though they, they didn't play well against Auburn. We'll see what happens with their, their season going forward. Yeah, they're going to need to definitely uh, earn some uh, some glamour points by running up some scores, I think, to get to get where they need to get. But uh, definitely could be Washington. Um, Chris, I think you made, I think you retweeted something about Dwayne Haskins against Penn State, his downfield accuracy basically incomplete everything over 15 yards right so yeah yeah like one pass yeah. that was like 12 yards everything else was just bubble screens or like less than 10 yards half of his completions were behind the line of scrimmage that's just it looked a lot like yeah. Callie bryant <laughs> i was actually gonna say <laughs> it did. maybe we'll it luck did. out and face penn state and then we can run all the screen passes we want right well th- i think the thing about haskins is he felt the pressure. It wasn't just a tough environment going into Happy Valley and playing in front of that. So that was his first true road test. Uh, so that was a big test for him. And then Penn State, they kind of called him out. They said he can't handle the pressure, and they were right. I don't think he can handle the pressure. So I wouldn't mind playing Ohio State. I don't think they live up to their talent as, as well as they should. They're the second most talented team in college football. But they, there's, I think there's a big gap between them and Alabama. So uh, I'd like to see our defensive line and our linebackers go after Haskins. Yeah, I'm sorely shredding them. Not that we give an identical look at the quarterback position, but um, I like our offensive talent a lot more than Penn State's. Yeah, but Trevor Lawrence is going to have to figure out how to handle pressure because if, if Bose is healthy by then, uh, they're going to have a good pass rush too. Um, and I, th- I think any of the playoff teams we would face – would have a good pass rush, and he'll need to be able to hit those checkdowns and give her the ball fast. Yeah, I think that's where Washington, to QT's point, they they come in right now with the number one S and P plus defense, and they played Auburn. You know, they've uh, their Pac twelve slate hasn't yet been all that great, and they will face some pretty good offenses down the stretch. Uh, so we'll see how much that lives up, or that holds up. But um, yeah, if they're able to sneak in, they could be a a pesky defense for our O line to face. Moving forward, um, anyone want to get any cracks in on the Gamecocks <laughs> five in a row to Kentucky? I mean, I, you know, people want to say that, yeah, that losing that fifth one um, is embarrassing, and the other four likely were, but this Kentucky team looks decent enough. Um, I, they're not they're not in the cellar of the um, SEC East anymore, but still an embarrassing loss for the Gamecocks. Yeah, I, I really hope AM wins this weekend and beats Kentucky. <laughs> that'll that'll give me a chuckle, but. Um... No, I mean, in South Carolina, they're just one player away. They need to stick with Muschamp um, to ride it out. Yeah, you yeah. get digging on the Gamecocks, right? Don't, they'll be back next year, okay? They'll be yep. back next year. <laughs> and uh, never again will this happen, the loss to Kentucky, okay? I told all my Gamecock coworkers, I said, you know, Losing to Kentucky this year probably isn't too embarrassing. They're probably a pretty good team, um, but it doesn't change the other four times that you lost to them that you shouldn't have uh, when they were not a good team. So, um, you know, it's it's definitely it's got to be up there for one of the more embarrassing um, stretches of football history, uh, even for the Gamecocks, which is saying something. 
it's really good for our recruiting too because Muschamp was trying to sell, you know, oh, I'm sticking in state, I'm getting all these guys, the talent is coming along, and and I think the loss to Kentucky and you know if they fizzle out here, I mean they had a decent year with a really weak schedule last year. Um, that 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 whole mystique or that you know whatever Muschamp was trying to sell just fizzles. So. It's really good for Clemson's recruiting if they can continue to lose just a few more games this year. Yeah, I am expecting some drama with their five-star defensive end, Zach Pickens, down the stretch. If it's not Clemson getting involved or making a push for him, it'll be someone else. It'll be Georgia or Tennessee or another SEC team going after him. Yeah, I I'd, I'd, I'd think another SEC team um, – the, the, when he committed to South Carolina, I don't know if you guys heard that story that our defensive staff was there at the game and it didn't go over well. So, I, you know, I, I never say never, but yeah, I think an, another SEC team is where uh, he could, could probably land. Cool. Well, uh, why don't we, why don't we call that a show guys? Thank you so much uh, for coming on once more. Um, why don't we plug your Twitters real quick, Quacking Tiger. Um, you do weekly columns at Shaking the Southland, uh, recapping the games, and of course, periodic recruiting updates. Uh, where can people find you on on Twitter? Oh, uh, you just type Quacking Tiger, and I'm, I'm probably the the screen handle that'll come up. At Quacking Tiger, that's it. Yeah, I'm a. Uh... I'm at, at CTB underscore Clemson Paws. Check us out at Clemson Paws. Um, you you want to read the Kraken and, and Dr. B there. Uh, they're way more knowledgeable than than Kurt or, or myself. I'll, I'll speak for you, Kurt. I'll take that liberty. But um, yeah, definitely check them out. Check out the film reviews. Check out um, the bottom line articles that come out on Friday. The Kraken does a very nice job of spending a lot of time going into detailed film breakdowns. It's the best way to understand the game. Um, you'll learn a lot about football, and then you'll also have some really good insight as to what's going on with the team. Yep, and then um, I'm the underscore JD list at Twitter, and uh, you know definitely um, head over to Clemson Pause and read some of that film review um, you know, you'll, you'll just learn a lot about football and the ins and outs and, and more than just, um, the, you know, what play was called or what formation they were in, um, you know, really, really good stuff, but, um, definitely echo Chris's sentiment that you go there, you go there to read the Kraken and Dr. B and then there's some other stuff on the side that you might want to check out while you're there, but that's not why you go there. And I would just uh, agree with, with what you two just said, that it's some of the best stuff out there. It is the best stuff out there. I'll just say it. I'll just say it right there. Well, thank you. I guess Dr. B and this, the Kraken. So they definitely put the work in. Uh, well, all good content across the board. So uh, thanks again, guys. I uh, appreciate you coming on. And we will have to have to do this again, have to catch up some other time, maybe even have a debate. You know, if there's a position group we want to, you know, land on both sides on and talk through. So um, thanks again for coming on. Uh, thanks to all the listeners. And as always, go Tigers. Go Tigers. <laughs>